0: I believe it was maybe i uh, had to be like how long we've we been doing this two and a half years three years
1: we missed our three-year birthday oh fuck did we i think it's in june shit oh, shit Hold on. i can tell you
0: well happy three years to our little baby I'm the terrible or, twos are over i'm gonna go to our
1: instagram and see when we posted our two birthday I feel like it was June 14th and we totally just missed it.
0: I think you're right.
1: Wow, we posted a lot this year.
0: hmm But regardless, it was probably near the beginning because Joanna, my niece, was young. But I had to mention in it and I said, Joanna, if you're listening, turn this off. Because she was, what, 10? 11. 10 or 11 at the time. Listen... I curse a lot. There's nothing I can do about it. There's subject matter that I'm like, eh, eh. June 7th. Jesus, we missed it. Anyway, so now she's 13. And I went to go hang out with her. And we were catching up and things like that because she moved down to Florida with her mom and uh, my brother, her stepdad. And she goes, yeah, I used to listen to your podcast back in the day because i wasn't allowed to but now i'm older and i'm like eh. <laughs> i the audacity of this child so what you're saying is she's too cool for us now correct and we lost a subscriber rude you could at least keep the subscribe button clicked joanna <laughs> i i mean literally just the idea that she's like eh rude Anyway, These Gen Alphas
1: are just—they're
0: out here just like <laughs> they're savage, dude. They are just the Gen Alphas I have met so far. Are just like, eh, you know what I'm saying? That's the only thing I could describe them.
1: They give zero fucks about anything. They just
0: exist, and they—they they tell you how it is.
1: They're here for the vibes. Yeah, and that is it.
0: Yes, <laughs> I can't wait to see them get into the workforce. They're
1: here for a good time, not a long time. Yeah. Because the world's probably going to go up in flames while they're
0: alive. And these gas prices? And these gas prices? And this economy? Yeah, please. I don't blame them. Um, But hopefully my student loans will be forgiven by that time. Hopefully. So, I played the long game with that one. (laughs) (laughs) Pay that off. It seemed seemed to work real well. See, (laughs) See, I think you chose the losing move in this case. You paid them off. There's a chance Daddy Biden... Is gonna be like you know what? Ah, no more loans. Either way, your credit score will plummet a hundred points when they go away.
1: Really? Mine did this the day after I made my final payment. Okay,
0: I've never understood that because it fucking makes no sense. Because when I closed credit cards, right? You're not supposed to close a credit card. Heaven forbid you close a credit card. Literally close one because I'm not using it anymore. Nope i'm not using it so i'm like what's the point on you dishonor (laughs) on your family dishonor on your cow you know what's the point of having a credit card i'm not gonna fucking use those credit and they're like the you did what 40 points down 20 points down like i don't understand our credit system in america you're supposed to cut it up and throw it away but never close the account Literally, America's like you know how we're gonna tell you're a good person if you leave a credit line open. Yes, and then, then by chance years. you get into credit card debt, and then by then, as long as you're making a minimum payment on that, you son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> you are 800 credit score right there, right there, and I'm, and you're paying them an interest. Yeah, the biggest drop ever in my credit score was when I paid off my student loans. Jeez. Yeah, it's great. We, it love, doesn't make sense to we me. love it. It truly does not make sense to me. But you're not here for <laughs> this is not the Dave <laughs> Ramsey
1: podcast. Sell, sell, sell cash only.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you think Dave Ramsey has a credit score <laughs> with the amount of cash?
1: No, I'm convinced the man does not have a credit score because he doesn't does, believe in does this. Credit cards.
0: Man? Does this, this man literally just like... How does he get approved
1: This is my unsolicited financial advice. I don't care what the fuck Dave Ramsey says. You need to have some form of credit. Because one day you're going to come into my line of work and you're going to apply for a tractor. And we're going to go, yep. what's your credit score? And you're going to go, I don't have a credit score. I'm going to go like, I can't give you a tractor. I'm sorry. Like I need to some proof that In you can United pay for this. In the United
0: States of America, if you want to buy a house, which... I'm very sorry to bring up a sensitive You probably subject. won't. You probably won't. Um, but you, the first thing a realtor will ask you is what is your credit score? Off the top. Off the top. What is your credit score? And if it's low, good fucking luck getting a loan. Sorry. Explain this to me. Anyway. Anyway, we are not giving you financial advice. Man, I'm all kinds of fire today. Please consult your financial advisor. Yeah. Hmm. I'm Bethann. And I'm Leah. And this is She Will Rock You. Where are they getting a dub in a, a CPS executive meeting? No. Oh. Bitch, don't <laughs> touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, pull up, before I haul you, let me turn down the thermostat. <laughs> this is bad. are <laughs> on page one, guys. <laughs> this is She Will Rock you.
1: Even though our intro doesn't do that anymore?
0: No. That's right.
1: Um, Before I get into my beautiful outline that I prepared for you today... I'm just going to send out our bi-weekly reminder to please leave us a review on your podcast listening platform of choice. You, you can know. leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. Spotify now has just like a star system. If you're listening, go up to the top of your our little feed in Spotify and just tap and leave us a star rating. Or if you listen on Good Pods, which you should cuz Good Pods is great um you can leave like a full written review or a star review there as well so please and thank you you know
0: who's not gonna review our podcast joanna joanna
1: (laughs) thanks joanna (laughs) could have at least left a review before you bailed on us (laughs) she's not listening so i don't know why i'm no talking into the the ether
0: but if you are i love you
1: (laughs) but you're not
0: don't ask for my netflix password again kid (laughs) She's withholding until you listen to some episodes. Oh, you want you want this Netflix password?
1: You must leave us a five star <laughs> review on Apple Podcasts with the code word.
0: You want the HBO Max password? Oof, oh, oh, buddy, I want a hundred character review,
1: hundred word essay on why you love our podcast. Anyway today as an episode that i am very excited about i was just saying i don't think i've been excited this excited about an episode You have while. talked about it
0: i think once a day in our text messages it's
1: so wild because like so obviously you've read the, the episode description where we're talking about kate bush and i have to say before stranger things season four premiered i don't know if i knew a kate bush song like i probably had heard one or
0: two so here's the, i know barely anything about kate bush yes as I just you sh- pretty much know she exists and I don't watch Stranger Things. Yes, so I I haven't even heard this song that everyone's obsessed with. You
1: have on TikTok, I guarantee you have, because it is okay. everywhere. I have to listen to it. Um, but obviously, Stranger Things four came out very very recently. We're still waiting on part two at the time of this recording. This is January. January. This is June twenty third. So um, you're listening to this after part four has come out. I hope we all survived. Um, they all but died we don't know what's happening in the finale there is a two and a half hour finale this is season four there's five seasons planned the duffer brothers about to fuck everyone up i think Mm. but we're we're gonna find out and well instead of like game of thrones on july 1st um i'm real scared but stranger things 4 came out and like most of america i watched it immediately fantastic television if you have not watched Stranger Things get on that you will love it if you watch it Mm. Um, but there is a without spoiling anything there is a very big very impactful scene that uses a Kate Bush song and immediately the internet became obsessed with Kate Bush and I was like who the fuck is Kate Bush Mm -hmm. so that inspired this episode because I wanted to know more about Kate Bush Um, and I found out more than like I ever thought that I would find with her because I thought, oh, she had like this one song that used was used in Stranger Things. No. She is one of the most genius people I think we've ever covered in this podcast. But also one of the most underappreciated. Mm. Because as is typical of British artists, she never made it big in America. Mm. So um one thing the thing that I would say to set set the the mood here. Is when Elton John had his civil partnership ceremony, he invited 600 people to this ceremony. And there were famous people from all walks of life, all professions. And the one person in the room that he wanted to meet more than anyone was
0: Kate Bush. I'm intrigued. So. If Sir Elton John has decided to spend his time in his presence, have you in his presence. Yes. You are someone I consider
1: i honestly think worth knowing sir elton john may be kate bush's biggest fan it's really cute i
0: love that the bbc
1: did a documentary i don't know what year it was published i found it like illegally uploaded on youtube um but he was in there and he was interviewed the most out of anyone that was interviewed they had uh the lead singer i don't know her name from saint vincent and like all these other famous people but elton john just was like in there and he was such a fanboy and i loved it so let us go back to the beginning Catherine Bush was born at Bexley Heath Maternity Hospital in Southeast London on July 30th, 1958. It's very specific. That is what every source says, so I feel like I need to mention it's it. It's got
0: to be important then.
1: Uh, her father was a doctor and her mother was a nurse, so they were, they were a pretty well-off family. Um, she grew up in a 350-year-old former farmhouse
0: in East Wickham. Okay, that's cool. Isn't that? I was like, that is an old I, house. W- so in my, like, hopes and dreams, this will never happen because I used to live in a house from 1930 and it was a bitch to op- upkeep. Yeah. I, I would c- love an old Victorian home. A
1: 350-year-old farmhouse. I imagine it has to be made out of stone or something to make it last that long. It has to be. Um, But sh- her parents and everyone in her family had a very artistic background. Her mother is an amateur. Was an amateur traditional Irish dancer, like the you know the, the river dancey, dance. Mm-hmm. Her father was an amateur pianist. Her brother Patty, Paddy, P A D D Y. I'm guessing it's short for Patrick. Huh. Worked as a musical instrument maker. Like he worked manufacturing instruments. And her brother John was a poet and a photographer. Both of her brothers were involved in the local folk music scene. So like she's just
0: thrown straight in the deep end and especially with that um kind of celtic style. If her mom's doing dancing yes and in that culture like celtic music is some of the most beautiful music yes in the world Sorry. and it makes sense Continue.
1: listening to her vocals because celtic music is very this clean pure vocal tone right and her tone is very much like that which
0: fun fact is where we get bluegrass I you knew that, that, but I forgot that. Yeah. I learned that in the Dolly because Parton Because the research. Irish immigrants that came over, they, in the Appalachians. Appalachians, they start, Whatever you. the fuck they call it. Um, brought their instruments and yes. turned into bluegrass.
1: Makes sense. Yeah. You wouldn't think that. Um, so like I mentioned, she had brothers, John and Patty. And Patty especially, the two of them, but mostly Patty, turned her on to the music they liked. Mm-hmm. They played her lots of different things and he specifically was into quote unquote strange instruments i don't know what that means um but he really loved king crimson pink floyd and fleetwood mac good choices so strange instruments and all this artistic and musical influence inspired her to teach herself the piano at the age of 11 good for her she's like a piano prodigy like she just like learned it kind of like elton john i guess Uh, She also played the organ in a barn behind her parents' house. I don't know why there was an organ in this barn. Where is the
0: organ plugged in?
1: I don't know. It just was there. Um, And she studied the violin. So she's very busy. Mm -hmm. She's a very busy woman Mm -hmm. at the age of 11. She soon starts writing her own songs. Naturally. Around this age, 10 or 11 or 12. Um, And when she's 14, a friend of Patty's named Rickery Hopper... Ricky Hopper. That's, that sounded funny. They, they knew that he was in the business, and so they were like, well, here's Kate's demo tape. Can you just, like, circulate it a little bit for us? See if you can, you know, get some interest. Um, and doing it the traditional way of circulating her demo tape doesn't really get Ricky anywhere. It doesn't get Kate anywhere. But turns out he's just casually friends with David Gilmore from Pink Floyd. Okay. S- somehow. This is never explained anywhere. And so he knew that Dave was looking for a side project to get some like new up and coming fresh artists to kind of like yeah. mentor them. So he gave Dave Kate's demo tape and he immediately was like, holy shit, there's something here. So he goes to her house because she's 14, mm-hmm. meets her parents. And in this meeting, she plays him somewhere between 40 and 50 songs that she had written and recorded how long were the songs i don't know and i don't know how long he was there or if he listened to the whole thing but he's in love he's like there's something here this girl has talent that i have not seen before like we're gonna do something with this and
0: especially if it's pink floyd yes who's like in my opinion one of the most experimental bands that has ever existed for him to point that out because he does such experimental styles. It makes perfect sense. It makes complete sense to me.
1: So he fronts the money for her to make a proper demo. Because I guess whatever demo she was circulating wasn't
0: good enough. Who's in the barn recording the <laughs> barn? Then I can almost guarantee you, you can't get very far in a pipe organ. I, 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 not. I, hate, I hate to tell you. Maybe you're Jack White. Make it one of your three. Maybe. But that's it. So he fronts her recording a
1: proper demo album um, with like actual backing musicians and arrangements and whatnot and he starts he starts personally circulating this to record companies Mm -hmm. which carries a little bit more rate more weight than ricky walking up into a random records company and being like here's this girl i know um and so once kate finishes cutting her demo around the same time pink floyd is cutting wish you were here
0: You know, just a small little album. How about
1: that? Um, at Abbey Road Studios, and so one day the record, his record company EMI, is there like play some play some tapes, Dave. What are you working on? And he's just like, so do you want to hear this demo that I have of uh, this this girl you might like? And they're like, sure. And so he plays them her recording of the man with a child in his eyes, which is going to eventually go on her debut album. And immediately they were like, thank you, we will take that.
0: Yeah, We would like this, to sign her This is now EMI property Exactly <laughs> Please call, please hand over the cassette sir. <laughs> it doesn't now
1: At this point she's 16 She just signed a record deal with EMI And gets a 3,000 pound advance Which is a lot of money for That's a 16 year old That's a lot of money for, nothing, for having really nothing recorded She gets put on a retainer for two years By Bob Mercer Who at the point is the managing director Of EMI's group whatever division yeah um and according to bob himself he was like this material is ready to release right now like her demos were pretty much release ready but he knew in his heart that kate was too young to handle fame because she's only 16 yeah and
0: so he made her wait two years you know i know she hated him in that moment But that was probably a great decision. Yes. And you know, more people need to be like Bob. Yes. More people need to be like Bob who can look at her and be like, that will fucking destroy her. Yes. She needs to wait until she can handle it. Exactly. Excellent move.
1: But he knew something was brewing on the horizon because at this point, the British record industry was like getting super stagnant. It's a prog rock scene, but it's been prog rock for a while. Yeah. We got punk over here. We got prog rock over here. Right. And you got like your singer songwriters over here. Mm-hmm. And
0: everyone's like bored because it's the same shit every day. They only got three genres. In they Britain. got three genres. They got th- we got we got three genres for <laughs> you in Britain. And that's it.
1: <laughs> um, and he knew that people were going to be looking for the next big thing. And this next big thing was going to be experimental acts. Pink Floyd hasn't quite popped yet because they haven't released the law. They wall. haven't released, yeah. Um, so almost immediately, she sparks up attention in like her little circle because no one can figure her out. A lot of sixteen-year-old, oh, da, da. when a lot of sixteen-year-olds release music, you can really, really clearly hear their influences because at that point yeah. they're pretty much just emulating whoever they idolize.
0: Right. But Kate, you can't figure it out with Kate. There is nothing in her music. It's the beauty of someone who just followed what was in their heart. That's exactly
1: what it is. So in this two-year interim. Or maybe right before. We're back in 1973. Kate and her brothers attend the last Ziggy Stardust show at the Odeon mm. in London. Now, this is important because, for starters, like she really looked up to Bowie. Bowie was, Bowie was a really big influence on her. Um, but at that show, and right before he really broke onto the scene, David Bowie studied the art of mime from Lindsay Kemp, okay. who is... A famous, famous, famous choreographer. Um and she went to this show and was like, I want to learn to move like Bowie and learn like learn to move like Lindsay. So she takes her advance money, her three thousand pounds, and signs up for interpretive dance classes, studying with Lindsay Kemp at the dance center in London's Covent Garden. And At this point in her life, there's an interview in this documentary with Lindsey Kemp himself. And he's like, Kate was literally like the shyest person I've ever met in my entire life. Mm. I had to beg her to come to the front of class. Like, she comes in her first day. She's in the back corner like, do not not perceive me. I am not here. Um, But studying with Lindsey, she said that she learned how to express herself without sound. Mm. She said that her movements would express more than she could ever say with her voice. And she's going to let them speak for herself. And this is very important. Just in her whole career, pretty much every video she's ever released, it's her dancing, and it's not just like uh, we'll talk about it in a minute. But it's not just like here's a choreographed like you know what's popular in the '80s dance. It's like interpretive modern dance. That it's it's her dancing her music. I don't know how better to explain yeah. it. Yeah. Um. Uh. And so she shows her to class. She's shy, but once she starts dancing and like figuring herself out and figuring her body out. He said she immediately went wild. Like she something clicked inside of her and it just made sense. Um on her first LP, The Kick Inside, which she eventually released at 18 out of that demo tape, mm-hmm. she dedicates her song Moving to Lindsay Kemp for helping her like Aww, learn how to move. Nice. Which is super cute. But this is also hilarious because the whole time she's setting under Lindsay at this dance studio, she never once mentioned to him that she's a singer. And was aspiring to be a singer. He thought the whole time she wanted to be a dancer. Hmm. Um, so one day he comes back to his office and like a signed copy of her LP is just sitting uh, like scooched under his door. And he was like, what is this? Hmm. Little did he know. I have no clue. Um, so to kind of fill this in between time before her LP officially drops, she also joins her brother Patty's pub band as a vocalist to kind of get some stage experience. Right. She's, she's very green. Um, they, not, they only made her the lead vocalist, not because she had an active record deal and was signed to EMI, but because they thought they might get more gigs if they had a girl singer. <laughs> and there it is. There it is. Were they wrong? Probably not. Probably not. not. Um, it was great for her, though, because it gave her experience, gave her perf- some time to perform in front of a crowd and like really hone in exactly what she was doing, practice her dance moves as she's studying at the conservatory. Um, and then this this is where things get conflicting. So literally there's footage in this documentary of them introducing themselves. And when they introduce themselves, they call
0: themselves Kate Bush and the Bushwhackers. No. <laughs> no, no. Listen, as someone who is from a town called Pine Bush, New York, where our... Mascot <laughs> was the Bushman, who was a caveman. I cannot tell you the ridicule we received across the tri-state area for that name. The Bushwhackers? No, absolutely not. <laughs> but
1: every other source I read said they called themselves the KT Bush Band, but that's not better. what they
0: said. So they are the Bushwhackers. Kate, no, Kate Bush and the and Bushwhackers. The Bushwhackers. Oof! (laughs) I don't know about that fam I don't know about that
1: Uh, So let's talk about the kick inside for a second This is released when she's 18 With her like demo tracks basically Some of these songs were written When she was as young as 13 Wow It's crazy EMI originally wanted it to be Wanted her first single to be The rock sounding Rock oriented James and the Cold Gun but she fought them tooth and nail for the lead singer of the lead single to be Wuthering Heights because she was like, no, this is my work. I know what needs to be released. Mm-hmm. Let me do it my way. And they were like, I mean, OK, I guess. So they released Wuthering Heights. She wrote this when she was 17. Um, in, the, in the UK alone, The Kick Inside sold over a million copies, like pretty great success for a debut album withering heights topped the uk on australia australian charts and became an international hit which made kate bush in 1978 the first female artist ever in the uk to have an entirely self penned number one hit mm. no other woman had writ- written their own song oh i'd love that that went number one um so what inspired the track withering heights funny you should ask because it was withering heights the book she was watching TV really late one night when she was 17 and caught the last 10 minutes of a TV movie adaptation of Wuthering Heights. <laughs> and she was like, something in this
0: speaks to me. I love it.
1: So she went and immediately read the book and was like, I need to write a song that captures the feeling of this book. You know
0: what that's like? You know, when we were at dinner at Iron and Ale and we were talking about the BBC uh, line Witch in a Wardrobe. Yes. With the human sized beavers. Yes. <laughs> here's my mission. I need someone to do that. Take what happened with withering Heights and do it with the BBC (laughs) language and wardrobe, which in case you were wondering is just a puppet Aslan and the two beavers (laughs) look like something out of a fucking like, you know, when Disney did, um, Alice in Wonderland promos back in the 50s. That's what it was like. It's, it's perfect nightmare fuel. This is what our, our mothers made us watch as kids. (laughs)
1: I did not have this experience. No. Um. So she falls in love with Wuthering Heights, the story that Emily Bronte has written. Fun fact: She and Emily Bronte have the same birthday of July thirtieth.
0: Oh, how about that?
1: That's a little, little creepy. Um. Like I mentioned, huge hit in the UK and Australia. Did not do so well in the U.S., which our good friend EMI Bob Mercer blames on the United States radio formats, which, which is probably true. It's fair because this is 1978 MTV does not exist right in the UK there's like 12 different TV programs dedicated to music videos people playing live like they're trying to get music out to the people america's like you got radio that's it that is it i got 12 spots you're on not one on of an hour them.
0: block that's it
1: you're not one of them and so she really pioneered the visual format of music, mm-hmm. which Europe was very receptive to. Yeah.
0: America wasn't quite there yet. What else is new?
1: Yeah. Um. Also around this time, you know, because she's a woman, she's got to have some kind of crazy issue. EMI decides that the way they're going to promote this album mm-hmm. is with a poster that has her in a tight pink top where you can just like very
0: clearly see her boobs. Okay, so literally Mr. Bob Mercer at 16 is like you're not ready for fame. She's
1: 18 now.
0: Fame is going to destroy you. You're 18. Get on that skin try. <laughs> yeah, basically <laughs> don't don't back talk me. <laughs> basically um but
1: he he later she regretted this choice immensely by EMI. She said in an, in a later interview in 1982 People weren't even generally aware that I even wrote my own songs or played my piano myself. The media just promoted me as a female body. And mm. I've had to prove that I'm an artist and a female body.
0: Ooh, that's deep. Yeah. That's really deep. Well, that's like with Lady Gaga, honestly. Yes. There was a whole persona built off of her. And she. I, I know she did part of this, but I know it also, she realized it wasn't her authentic self. She's kind of lumped into doing it. Just like having these weird moments. But then she'd like, I remember watching the 2012 where she was doing the Sound of Music. Yes, that changed the world. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, how does she have this good of an operatic voice? She's, and then she got on a piano and a couple of times. I'm like, holy shit. She's just as good as Liberace. Yes. yes. So I get that. Um
1: So let's let us go revisit the music scene because you know two years ago Mr. Bob Mercer was like Mm -hmm. we're ready for experimental shit. So Kate is born out of the prog rock scene. She immediately breaks that mold. Not if there if there was a mold of the prog rock scene because they're kind of just doing their own thing over here. She breaks that mold. The punk scene hates her because they see her as an entitled little brat who had rich mommy and daddy who were buddies of David Gilmore and got her like this record deal immediately. So she's like everything that punk rock yeah. is against. Um, and then the singer songwriter category of music is the only time like your Joni Mitchell's it's the only time that females are ever getting radio play at this mm-hmm. point in, in time. Um, and this is a very loose quote cause I don't remember exactly how she said it in the documentary cause I didn't write it down at the time. But in this documentary she says, says something along the lines of the men get to play rock and roll. Their music was allowed to be intrusive. Mm. I wanted to intrude And mm. I wanted people to hear me
0: mm. Man she got good pull quotes Preach
1: So the next year We're in 1979 now She releases her second album Lionheart Wow was the first single Off the second album Wow. The, it Literally the vocal is Wow 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 like that is That is the chorus It's super experimental as is pretty much everything We're ever going to yeah. talk about and really shows what she can do with her voice. So, if you've not heard Wuthering Heights, she very much puts on, like, this character voice. It's, like, very shrill, and I can't I can't emulate it, so I'm not going to try. Um, and this is a completely different sound. Like, she doesn't even sound like the same person in WoW as she did mm. in Wuthering Heights. Unfortunately, because it, it can come across a little ridiculous, this video does get parodied for years to come, especially by British comedians. Um... Which someone, I don't know who they were In this documentary said You know, it just goes to show That boring artists are very difficult to make fun of But the interesting ones are easy Mm. In April 1979 So off of this album, uh, Lionheart She makes her debut tour She's not toured up to this point This show is called The Tour of Life It goes on for six weeks, and it combines music, dance, mime, magic, and
0: theater. Magic? It's a magic show, too?
1: There is a magician on stage with her while she performs. Sounds incredible. It's described by the Guardian as an extraordinary hydra-headed beast combining music, dance, poetry, mime, burlesque, magic, and theater.
0: Oh, I love everything
1: in that. It's it sounds incredible like i didn't go looking for footage because i was on time crunch but i'm not sure footage exists it should but i'm not sure it does these shows were notable because of her dancing her complex lighting and her 17 costume changes and and you wonder why Elm
0: john loves her
1: 17 costume changes and this is where Kate really starts to pioneer the music scene. Like she's already breaking molds. But because of her need to dance and move around as she's singing, sound engineers were like, "How are we going to mic you? Like you can't you can't just take a corded mic on stage right. with you." So they invent the headset mic for no Kate way. Bush. Yes, they take a wire coat hanger and a tiny radio microphone and figure out how to put it around her ear. And put it by her mouth so that she can keep changing costumes and moving around. Oh, that's cool.
0: Yes! That's cool.
1: Yes! That's why... I. Was, this is one of the many reasons I'm excited about Kate Bush. Um, there had been, like, a super rudimentary version of the headset microphone used by the Spotniks in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. But, like, it didn't really work, and it didn't work the way that, like, we think of Kate a headset. Bush had to come around and Kate do it. Kate Bush... Kate Bush created it. Well her engineers created it but like because of her innovation so this this show that combined all this stuff single-handedly this is this is oh this is a quote from Elton John she single-handedly created the benchmark for show visuals for everyone in the future because no one was putting shows on to this level Elton John saw her at the Palladium and was like holy shit I gotta do better (laughs) So, this, this tour is only six weeks, which is a very short tour schedule. It's very mm-hmm. demanding on her because she's doing, like, 8,000 things at once. Right. That's a big show. It's a
0: big show. That's not just getting on stage and playing piano.
1: No. It's a whole thing. Um, So, immediately, like, the week after she finishes this tour, she does an interview, and they're like, so, now that you have this, like, little kickoff experience, you're going to do a more extensive tour in the fall, And she's just like, "Um, I don't know. We're going to see what we have planned. Like She really dodges the question. Mm -hmm. Um, Spoiler, it'll be another 35 years before she plays another show in London.
0: You're kidding. She
1: refuses to tour throughout her entire career. It's so demanding. She's still a shy kid at heart. Like As much as she loves performing, um, I listened to an interview on another podcast with a journalist who's just a big Kate Bush fan. And the journalist, I don't know her name argued that Kate Bush was born about 40 years too early because she marketed herself as someone for the internet age. She -hmm. was very much a visual performer. Her music videos were great, but she did not love being on tour or performing for people. Mm -hmm. It's, It's fascinating. So let's jump to 1980. She drops Breathing, which is her first single off of her 1980 album, Never Forever. Um, and this song is known as the fetus song because the entire music video takes place in a womb.
0: It does not. It. I swear it does. Hold on, I gotta go. I gotta Google this. I swear it, What's it does. What's the song
1: called again? Breathing. <laughs> <laughs> you did not believe me.
0: First off, wonderful cellophane paper. Uh, you know that cellophane,
1: listening yeah, yeah. paper.
0: Wonderful use of that.
1: Yes. It's, it's 1980. Use. are you watching also the video? I
0: appreciate that she looks like a bat on the cover
1: yeah I, that has nothing to do with the video visuals it's completely different visuals holy cow huh so yes the entire video takes place in a fe- in a in a womb it's a song about a reincarnated fetus who is about to be born again who is terrified of a nuclear war
0: no, that's a, that's an understandable concern <laughs>
1: Which I wrote, which is just about the most 1980s song theme I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but jokes aside, it is a very powerful song, and every literally everyone that they interview in this BBC documentary, they like go through everyone who they have footage for, and everyone's like, "This is one of the this is a song that changed my life. This is a song that made me a Kate Bush fan. This is like one of the greatest songs I've ever heard. Like it's, it's a very deep song, um, and it talks about the, how powerful." Women and mothers are, mm. and it's just a subject that people didn't talk about in popular music at that time. It's 1980. We're just vibing with some synths. We're not talking right. about like the the moog,
0: yeah. or some of you. Oh, we're not there Filthy yet. casuals call the moog. Pin
1: that. Test test test. Melomaniacs record collection and I can just read what Ruth wrote me if you want me to. Okay. I have not read this. I have not read this through, so I'm just going to wing it. <coughs> <coughs> I just ate some uh, carrot cake Oreos which are amazing, but very sticky. They're really good. Anyway, I need to mute Facebook, because I just got a message, and it went, da Go away. All right. Take two. In the early morning hours of June 22nd, 2022, Tanner Morris stood in the street watching his dreams go up in smoke. Like, literally. Tanner owns Melomaniac Records and Cafe, which is a record store slash coffee shop in historic Mebane, North Carolina. This is a place that he's dreamed of owning for a decade and ran for two years, and the place was on fire. Thankfully, all of the extensive damage is repairable. It'll be a while, but this awesome and popular shop will once again serve coffee and be a place where artists of all kinds can hang out and collaborate. Everything can be replaced. Tanner's friends, family, and loyal customers have rallied around him. Well, that is everything except the record albums. Tanner had a whole room full of album racks stocked with old albums for sale. Johnny Cash, Elvis, Collectible Aerosmith, ACDC, even his grandparents' quartet album that was recorded over 40 years ago. That one wasn't for sale. But all the albums are lost. What the fire didn't get, the water did. And what the water didn't get, the heat warped. So all that hunting, all those times his heart jumped when he found Tom Petty or Bob Dylan in some dusty old antique store attic, were all gone. So we're asking for your help in replacing the album collection at Melomaniac ahead of the reopening later this year. If you're able to donate record collections, they'll take anything that you have. They're also buying collections of rock, pop, jazz, Christmas, children's, popular, classic country, collectible albums, signed albums, etc. So if you're in the Lynchburg, Virginia area or the Mebane, North Carolina area, they'd love to see what you've got. Tanner and his buying team can buy and collect donations in both areas. Just email melomaniacruth at gmail.com. That's M-E-L-O. M-A-N-I-A-C-R-U-T-H and or Records at gmail.com. So, funny you should mention synthesizers because in January 1980, Kate, Kate at this point has struck up a friendship with Peter Gabriel. Okay. And provides backing vocals for his record Games Without Frontiers. And she goes into a studio and he's using... The brand spanking new Fairlight Synthesizer. It is the first commercially available digital synthesizer. So it predates our beloved Moog. Mm. Um, And she, this quote that I have says, Peter Gabriel introduced Bush to the Fairlight, which was the sonic equivalent of a Jedi being handed their lightsaber.
0: Ooh.
1: Kate falls in love with the Fairlight Synthesizer blows her mind she goes on to push it to its limits um in her never forever album she has a ton of crazy samples most notably is um the sound of glass breaking in her song babushka which would go on to reach number five uh i don't know on which charts because i didn't know if that down we're gonna assume uk in june 1980 which made it her biggest hit since withering heights um and this album is like Experimental But she's still Figuring out The Fairlight Right She is Not Hitting the Fairlight's Full potential
0: mm-hmm.
1: But I mean it's brand new On the scene She's She's figuring it out She's adding it to songs Whatever whatever Side note about The Never Forever album Is This is where you Really start to see Kate Having character songs That is She Says In the, in An interview at the time they're like, why aren't you writing songs about yourself? Because all the public has seen to this point is, no, no shade at Joni Mitchell, but you're Joni Mitchells who write about their personal experiences, mm-hmm. their personal feelings, and they write a song about it. Well, they're like, why don't you do that? And she's like, well, because I'm boring. Other people are more interesting than me. Mm. She is, that. that is her muse. Her muse is other people. Like, to her- I like that. Yeah, me too. To her, her own life is boring. She's just writing songs So she creates these worlds in her head mm-hmm. Inspired by fictional works Or like people she meets Which is super cool On this album is a song called Army Dreamers Which is like a super freaking sad song About soldiers dying
0: I Soldiers don't or soldiers? Soldiers Okay
1: And that's all I had about that album Other than this is her first record To reach the top position in the UK album chart Which also made her the first female British artist To ever achieve that status Ooh which is crazy
0: it's just weird that we've never heard of her in the states i know like she is so successful in the uk and clearly a game changer yes she's like a she sounds like she's the equivalent of elton john yes why the hell have i not heard of her exactly
1: because i guarantee i mean american radio does suck but we've, we, as we've learned, like, American artists are not receptive receptive to people who are experimenting. Yeah, that's true. And sometimes the first time you're listening to one of her songs, like, Wuthering Heights, for the the first couple times you listen to it, it's kind of off-putting. Like, it's not a song I'm going to throw on and, like, jam out to. But it's a really genius song. Mm-hmm. And y- Americans aren't smart enough for that. Correct. I say this as American. <coughs> So let's go talk about her fourth album called The Dreaming. And at this point, it's 1981. She's like, I've had it with everyone else producing my art. I'm doing it myself now. So she writes, produces this entire album by herself Mm. with the Fairlight Synthesizer. There you go. And this is where she takes the Fairlight and literally says, let's crank it up to 100. Some of the sounds that she sampled with her synth for this album were helicopter blades, didgeridoos, and a chorus of
0: fake sheep. I love that.
1: (laughs) Um, The title track, The Dreaming, is about the destruction of aboriginal homelands, which is where the didgeridoos come in handy. Um, And, I mean, Cage is an experimental artist. But this is where she moves away from, like, can I play this on radio to what can I do? Mm -hmm. How can I make this art sound like it sounds in my head? Um, And she just starts to not follow rules, which is totally cool. She experiments with with entirely new production techniques. She makes this like crazy blend of musical styles, like a musical soundscape. Um, And this album is pretty much considered to be a near exhaustive use of what the Fairlight synthesizer can do.
0: So she literally said, guess what? You're my bitch now. Basically.
1: Um, and she starts to write songs that mean a lot more to her. Not that her other songs didn't. But like, sh- there's just a shift in her tone a little yeah, bit.
0: Yeah, sure. Especially when you've been writing for that long. Yeah. It's bound to cabin.
1: This is her fourth album. She's written quite a lot of things. Um, she does continue her storytelling tradition. She looks outside of her own personal self. She watched or she drew some inspiration from old crime films for the song there goes a tenor she pulled from a documentary about the vietnam war for pull out the pin she looked at the plight of indigenous people in australia for the dreaming houdini is about houdini's death Mm. Um, and get out of my house is inspired by stephen king's the shining Ooh, yes that's cool so she's drawing inspiration from everywhere in a 1993 interview with Q magazine, she said, "This was my she's gone mad album. Like she just threw everything at the wall just to see what happened." Um, and it became her first to enter the US Billboard charts. Surprisingly enough, it only hit 157, but she was there. Yeah. Critics didn't love it because it is kind of a little a little out there, but among Kate Bush fans, it's like a cult favorite because it's it's crazy. Um She does release Not a Tenor as a single off of this album, and it's her only single ever, Not to Chart, because people just didn't understand it. Right. It was too experimental, even for the Brits. Um, But all this experimentation was going to get her somewhere. She just didn't know it yet. But first, for The Dreaming, she spent the better part of two years jumping from studio to studio around different parts of England And so for her next album, she knew she wanted to get a studio where she and her team could just, like, camp out Mm -hmm. and stay there for months on end. And so I don't know if she bought a studio or they rented out a studio. It's very unclear. But for this next album, they are in one place for the entire time. And this makes all the difference because she's no longer stressed about, like, what do we have to move from this studio to this studio? What do we do in this last session? And she says that being in one place for the first time ever in her career set her free creatively. Mm. So she goes on to write and I'm pretty she did produce, yes. To write and produce Hounds of Love, which is considered her magnum opus. When this album released, it tops the charts in the UK. Knocks Madonna's like a virgin down off of the number 1 spot. Wow. Um the format of this really takes advantage this is like the most 19 well we i don't know what year we're in 1985 the most 1985 format she really takes advantage of vinyl and cassette being the media of the time the first side the a side of hounds of love contains five quote accessible pop songs they're very much if you think 1980s synth pop they've got that vibe um and that's where all our singles come off of that side. You got Running Up That Hill, Cloud Busting, Hounds of Love, and The Big Sky. All of them are bops. Like, this album, I'm now obsessed with this album, thanks to this this research. At the time, Running Up That Hill, which is a Stranger Things song, reaches number three in the UK, um, comes over to the US, climbs it to number 30 mm. on the Billboard Hot 100 in November 1985. And actually earned her nominations for the Best Female Solo Artist, Best Album, Best Single, and Best Producer at the 1986 Brit Awards. Don't think she won any of them, but... That's cool. It was her first nomination. So like I said, first single off this album was Running Up That Hill, which did great. And remember, music videos are not really like... Everyone's preferred way to consume music at this time. Mm-hmm. and sh- But she makes, I think, arguably, one of the best music videos of all time for this song. In the video, she's not singing the song, like, at all. She's not lip-syncing it, like, in your classic music video. She's doing a choreographed, modern, like, interpretive dance song while this song plays. And it's, it's super emotional. Like, you can feel... The song in like a whole... New, I don't even know how to describe it. Go watch it. Pause this if yes. you're listening. Go watch it. I'm going to watch it after this. Come back. Um, which was not popular at the time. Because this is the same year... Or roughly the same year as Michael Jackson's Thriller. Like we're doing choreographed company pieces basically. Mm-hmm. We're not doing modern interpretive dance. Um, and it really... I think it makes a difference. It makes... It's extremely emotional. Hounds of Love uh i don't know why i put this in here but it's third single in 1986 that's all i wrote uh and i'm gonna i I wrote i'm gonna say it this album fucking slaps Mm. it's somewhere on the 500 albums i didn't make a note i call it when we get there sorry whoever's our guest at that point also in 1986 because she's she's a very busy woman at this point
0: she's always always busy man always busy she eats sleeps and breathes this but she's not having to tour that's nice. Which makes a difference, I think. I could see how... To- I, I don't think touring's for everybody. No. Even artist-wise. No.
1: Abba, Ar- ABBA didn't tour that much either, so mm-hmm. like, some just don't. Um, She releases a duet with Peter Gabriel, her old pal, called Don't Give Up, which Elton John credits to helping him... Like, the sole credit of helping him get sober.
0: Oh. He
1: said he listened to it so much... When he was sh- like trying That's to go sweet. through rehab, I love that so much. Um, so they end up having a UK top ten hit with this song. Just very random fun fact: Peter Gabriel originally offered this the female vocal part to Dolly Parton, and she turned him down. <laughs> mm. But it's okay. Kate, it was meant to be Kate. Mm-hmm. 1989, she releases the Central World. We're gonna f- blow through these next couple albums because they they don't have much to say about them not that they're not great they're just
0: there's Kate, just sometimes not a lot to say yeah kate's
1: just also a very private person so like i don't have any life drama to accompany any of these mm-hmm. uh, the central world 1989 also very heavily influenced by literature described by her herself as her most honest personal album um, one of the songs called heads were dancing i think it's just heads were dancing I don't know. Heads weird dancing. Heads were dancing. I don't know if autocorrect fucked me over on that one. Go look yourself. Uh, it was inspired by her own dark sense of humor, and it's about a woman who dances all night with a very charming stranger, only to discover the next morning that he's Adolf Hitler.
0: Okay, like you had me there. Were well, we thirty minutes into this episode, and then, <laughs> and then, then we're dancing with Hitler
1: she also drew inspiration for the title track central world from the novel ulysses by james joyce she really fell in love with molly bloom's soliloquy which is the closing passage of the novel and thought that it had fit this music that she had created and didn't have lyrics for um so she reached out to the james joyce james joyce estate and was like can i use this text in my song and they were like no you cannot use that text in your song that's rude so she just very slightly edited it to like echo the feeling of the original passage just to like scrape by.
0: Hey, listen, you can get around copyrights. That's all I'm saying.
1: Exactly. Uh, it went on to become her biggest selling album in the U.S., which is weird to me because the, I think Hounds of Love is personally like better and America should have appreciated it more. But mm. that's me. It did receive an RIAA gold certification which is like her only album to get one of those certifications in the U.S., which is crazy. In 1991, she released a cover of Elton John's Rocket Man, Mm. which A, I'm sure meant a ton to Elton because he loved her so much. Um, But it reached number 12 in the U.K. single charts. And in 2007, it was voted the greatest cover ever by readers of the Observer newspaper nice which is a very weird award but But cool it's cool 1993 brings us the red shoes this is like her most depressing saddest album because she was going through a lot at this time in her life her her guitarist that she'd worked with for many many years alan murphy passed away as well as her mother who passed away the year before the album came out um she up until this point Had been dating her bassist, Del Palmer. They broke up, like, all Mm. in the same mirror. And they still work together, so it was, like, a really awkward working relationship. But she trusted him so much as a musician. She couldn't part with him, but, like, didn't want to be with him as a
0: romantic partner. Yeah. Um, That's always tough.
1: Yeah. And so she honors all these people in her life with the very, very sad ballad moments of pleasure. And each album keeps topping itself in the U.S. charts. So like Hounds of Loved it pretty well. Then what was it called? Central World did better. Well, Red Shoes does even better.
0: Man, we just suckers for depressing shit We
1: are. She reaches number twenty eight in the US album charts, which wow. is really high. Um, but the only song that would do like individual song that would do well in the charts was Rubber Band Girl, which only peaked at eighty six, mm-hmm. which isn't great. Um She's not toured up until this point in her life, mm-hmm. other than the the original tour, and the initial plan had been to tour with this release, but it just like didn't feel right for her to tour with all this death in her life. So she was like, eh, "You know what? Instead, we're gonna we're gonna produce these tracks live and not like modify them in studio, which was different than her last three albums." And then they were like, "That's gonna be too hard to recreate on stage." So. No tour for us. Okay, bye. Mm. And this album really split her fan base. Half of them really enjoyed the intricacy of her earlier compositions because they had been, you know, layered upon layered in the studio and lots of overdubbing and stuff. And then other fans were like, no, I like the stripped back version because you can really focus on the lyrics and the emotion. And, you know, as it always does when an artist changes their sign or their sound. In 1998... Everything changes. She moves out of London to Berkshire with her g- guitarist Danny McIntosh. They get married. Oh. They have their son Albert, oh. who everyone refers to as Bertie <laughs> in this documentary. Cute. Uh, that same year he's born in 1988 and she just disappears to take care of her kid. She planned on taking a year off. But you know, life happens. Yeah. So 12 years later, she resurfaces in 2005. Literally no one knew where she was for 12 years, which is crazy. In a 2005 interview, she talked about how she wasn't able to be creative living the life of someone in the industry. Because she had gotten pretty famous before she had her kid. Yeah. Um, And she just needed to be quiet to be creative. So that's why she disappeared. But it was also really hard to write and record material with a baby at home
0: yeah that's true and then
1: the baby's a toddler and then he's a young kid and then she's like i don't want to miss these years so 12 years passed i don't blame her i understand totally understand um so she comes back with a bang in 2005 and releases a double album called ariel a-e-r-i-a-l and like hounds of love it's divided into two sections with its own theme and mood the first disc is subtitled a sea of honey and features unreleased, unrelated-themed songs, sorry, including King of the Mountain, Birdie, which is mm-hmm. obviously about her son. It's about her son in a Renaissance-style ode. Uh, Joni, which is based on the story of Joan and Arc, And then a song called Pi, like like the symbol Pi, mm-hmm. which she sings 117 digits of the number Pi.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. (laughs) Uh, All right.
1: That might be pushing my levels of experimentation, but she did, she did it. The second disc, which is subtitled A Sky of Honey, is one continuous piece of music describing the experience of 24 hours passing by.
0: Now that's cool. I like that. Experimentation,
1: man. It earned her two nominations at the Brit Awards for Best British Female Solo and Best British Album. She drops this. And then she kind of just disappears again. She just goes off and does her own thing. We next hear from her in 2011. This is her album, 50 Words for Snow. And the title track features Stephen Fry speaking 50 different words to describe a snowfall over an instrumental background. Okay. And when they interviewed him in this documentary, you could tell that that was one of his favorite achievements He's ever had in his life I love was that. to be asked to do the voiceover in a Kate Bush song. It was so cute. I love that. Um, it also features a high-profile cameo appearance of Elton John, oh on the duet "Snowed Snowden In at Wheeler Street." Um, now it had been what six years since her last album, so of course this, this whole press cycle, everyone's like, "What took you so long? Where have Kate, you been? Yeah, who fuck, have you been?" And she was like, "Um, yeah, I didn't really plan on this. It's very frustrating that the albums take as long as they do. I wish there weren't such big gaps between them. In the same interview, she denied that she was a perfectionist, saying, I think it's important that some things are flawed. That's what makes a piece of art interesting sometimes. There's a bit that's wrong or the mistake that you have made that led into an idea that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. So, like, the press had hyped up, like took her six years because she was being so nitpicky on her album and that's why we don't have it yet and she's like no actually i just was focusing on the fact that my kid's getting older like he's 18 at this point yeah he's an adult now uh she turned down an invitation to perform at the 2012 summer olympics when they were in london but instead they she gave authorization to use a new vocal remix of her 1985 single running up that hill in 2013, she became the only female artist to have top five albums in the UK charts in five successive decades, which is pretty cool. Uh, that is cool. In March 2014, this is like rapid fire, last couple years stuff. In March 2014, she announced her first live concert since, I think, like since that first very first tour. Jeez. It was called Before the Dawn, which was a 22-night residency in London. Went from aug- August 26th to October 1st, 2014. At the Hammersmith Apollo, tickets sold out in fifteen minutes.
0: I'm sure they did.
1: The concerts received universal acclaim. No one had a bad, thi- excuse bad me, thing. Bad say thing it. to say about these concerts. Like she's, I mean, she's older now, but she still has. She still got it. it whatever it is, this gave her, you know, a boost in publicity around these these show dates and she became the first female performer to have eight albums in the uk top 40 charts simultaneously wow holy shit putting her at number three for simultaneous uk top 40 albums the at this point in 2016 the only artists ahead of her were elvis presley who had 12 at the time or 12 12 in the top 40 when he died in 97 Mm -hmm. and the beatles who had 11 simultaneous in 2009 she had 11 albums in the top 50 how the the hell have we not heard of her i don't fucking know so that brings us to today and unless you've been living under a rock you know that running up that hill parentheses deal with god was used in that scene in stranger things season four so after being included in the soundtrack kate's 1985 single 1985, the song is, what, 30-something? Mm-hmm. Almost 40 years old? It fucking exploded. It gained so became the most streamed song on Spotify in the U.S., the U.K., Ireland, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and pretty much every country in the world. She released a statement, like, literally last week, praising Stranger Things and saying that the resurgence was really exciting for her. Aww. On June 10th, 2022, it charted number two in the UK singles, which is better than it did in 1985, 37 years later. There's a number. I wrote it in here somewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, After it reached number two in the UK charts on June 10th, it was revealed to be the most popular track of the week in the UK, ahead of As It Was by Harry Styles. But a pre-existing chart rule penalized older songs that are streamed. That's dumb. So the chart supervisory committee, because that's a thing. Okay. Responded by giving the record exemption from this rule. Oh, that's good. Due to its ongoing sales resurgence. So on June 17th, 2022, which is literally last week, the song reached number one in the UK, making it her second number one single. 37 years later. That's
0: crazy.
1: It broke three UK chart records in the process. There are forty-four years between her number ones, Withering Heights in nineteen seventy eight and running up that hill today. She replaced Cher as the oldest female chart topping artist. She is sixty-three years old and sixty-three Good years for her. and eleven months old. Um and in this article I found from June second, she's reportedly set to bank more than one million pounds I'm
0: happy for her.
1: Off of this like resurgence to add to this she owns the publishing licensing rights she wrote it and she uh produced it so all the money is hers i love that so and she deserves it she deserves it the song is currently getting nearly a million streams a day on spotify which is esti- earning her an estimated quarter million pounds a week and it's on course to maintain its position at the top of the chart the second week in a row. Jeez. We'll find out tomorrow. Unfortunately, this is recorded before the, you know, the charts are Holy out for this cow. week. So, I could sit here for like literally 5 minutes and list you every single artist in Wikipedia that has cited Kate Bush as an inspiration, mm-hmm. but I'll spare you all from that. So, instead I'll give you like the highlights both from this documentary and from just like the internet. So, a British rapper Tricky who I only know from this documentary He seems like a delightful man. He wrote an article about The Kick Inside, which is her debut album, saying, her music has always sounded like a dreamland to me. I don't believe in God, but if I did, her music would be my Bible. Mm -hmm. John Linden, a.k.a. Johnny Rotten Mm -hmm. of the Sex Pistols, declared her work to be beauty beyond belief. He once wrote a song for her titled Bird in Hand about the exploitation of parrots
0: I don't really know what was going on there. (laughs) He doesn't even know. We don't know.
1: But uh, she rejected it. She didn't want to record it. So, which is weird. I just thought that was weird. Uh, Kate Bush is one of the singers who Prince thanked in his liner notes of 1991's Diamonds and Pearls. Marianne Faithful mentioned Bush's four octave range should be regarded as a national treasure. She said, quote, my favorite instrument in the whole world is the human female voice. And Kate Bush is one of the reasons Why? it is by far a Stradivarius, which is why she rarely deals with the press or isn't in a rush to record. She's one of the few who can be above all of that. In 2020, Grazia Magazine conducted an interview with UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, and when asked about the five most influential women in his life, he placed Kate Bush at the fifth spot after debating between Queen Elizabeth II, Margaret Thatcher, and Kate Bush. (laughs) Those are hard choices. (laughs) So I come over the council with my appeal of including Kate Bush, the experimenter, Ooh. into the Saint, the Shioraku Patron Saint Hall of Fame.
0: There's nothing left in this, but to Kate Bush. To Kate Bush. Thank you for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Pods. Special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our website at shewillrockyou.com. There you'll find our socials, show notes, contact us, and merch. Other than that, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs.